The Startup to Scale-Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. I'm delighted to welcome uh, Doug Landis and Viviana Farga from Emergence Capital to uh, this week's show. Now, Emergence is one of the world's leading enterprise SaaS VC funds with seven exits over half a billion dollars, including Salesforce, SuccessFactors, and Box. And Doug and Viv joined Emergence as, uh, as growth partner and operating partner, respectively, to share their expertise in delivering successful go-to-market and growth strategies at companies like Salesforce and Box. So, Doug and Viviana, really looking forward to hearing your stories on this week's show. We are too. We're excited to be here. Thanks so much, Gary. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Thanks, guys. To kick things off, you each left very successful leadership roles in software companies to join Emergence. What attracted you to join a VC fund? And um, ladies first, so we kick off with uh, Viviana. Well, I think first and foremost, Emergence is a fantastic firm. And the people here are really unique in the way that we look at the venture community and how we work with our portfolio companies is just very different. So the idea that they were willing to hire Doug and I to really focus on advising their portfolio companies on the go-to-market side is, is truly unique. So one, the firm and the opportunity was a big part of it. But two, I think that when you're operating within a company and you're you're really running one company, right? The business, or, you know, the strategy, the mission, the vision, the execution, a CMO for one company. And, and I always loved the idea of, you know, what if I could do this for multiple companies? And the great thing is that we only make five to seven investments a year. So I love the idea that I don't think that I believe that you can advise 50 companies in one year, but I think you can advise five to seven and really help them scale their business. And so that was really exciting to me. I concur with everything that she said. I would also add that it's a pretty unique situation because emergence capital is hyper focused. You know, as as Viv was saying, we we don't do that many investments throughout the year, but the investments that we do are pretty similar across the board, right? We focus on investing in B2B enterprise SaaS companies. We focus on investing in people who are fundamentally thinking about new ways to change the way we work. You kind of think about you know, early investments in Salesforce and Boxer are great examples of that. But because of Emergence's focus, it actually fit our backgrounds really well because Viv and I both come and, and Viv and I both used to work at Salesforce many, many years ago in the early days. But we both got, come from leadership roles in early Series A SaaS companies that blew up to become these iconic companies like Salesforce, Yammer, Box. Where else were you? <laughs> As I'm trying to list all these companies that we, that we invested in. <laughs> You covered but, most of them. <laughs> but, the, but, the, but the point is, it was it's a good fit, right? Because we come with some operating savvy and some expertise in enterprise in helping to build enterprise SaaS companies. We've seen kind of the playbook over and over again. And that fits exactly what Emergence's investment focus is or investment thesis is as well. So, so it kind of, you know, it all kind of fell into place. I would argue that it's difficult for a lot of other firms to actually bring folks like Viv and I in because... Other firms tend to invest in kind of across the board, their B2B, their B2C, their IoT, their healthcare, their cryptocurrency, their blockchain. And specifically, when you think about what we do is we dig in to these early stage companies and help them figure out 
how they're going to scale and grow. And, you know, because of our background and our experience, it makes it a lot easier because there's a lot of rinse and repeat. But if we were going to work with, say, a B2C company or an IoT company or even a crypto company, it could be very different. So this is just kind of a unique, a very unique fit. Yeah. And I think to, to what Viv said is, is, you know, at the end of the day, it's the people and the people at Emergence are just amazing. And as a result, the people that we choose to invest in are equally as amazing. And that to me is probably one of the most fulfilling components of this. So amazing people and a hell of a lot of focus there. It's interesting that you're mentioning focus or emphasizing focus in relation to the fund, because I know from one of our previous conversations that you feel that focus is absolutely crucial to to sector domination for software companies. Indeed, you felt that Box could have been far more successful if it had concentrated on on just a limited number of core verticals. So walk me through that, Doug, and maybe Viviana can come in with some of her ideas as well on the importance of focus and, and are there any challenges in getting your portfolio CEOs to accept this idea of staying incredibly focused on uh, on product and vertical market? You know, what's interesting is I would say at Box, I realized that you know, a lack of focus can be very damaging, but I didn't really fully get it until I left. And we started working with these very early stage companies. In many cases, in some cases, they only have nine employees. But one of the things that you notice or that I've noticed over time is, you know, it's these companies that try to be all things to everybody too early can be very, very damaging. And I'll give you an example. So at Box, in the early days, you know, Box is a horizontal solution. That's actually really hard to sell because you can sell it to everybody. And so how do you market to everybody, all companies of all sizes across all the all industry? How do you switch as a salesperson from, I just talked to somebody who run an oil refinery, and next thing you know, I'm talking to somebody who runs a small boutique retail store. Having a business conversation that quickly and switching from one industry to the next is really, really difficult. And what we found in the early days is we had a ton of success focusing, You know, we had a ton of success in some industries like healthcare, as an example, manufacturing, software. And I think, to be honest, Box would have been better suited if we were just hyper-focused on those three or four or five industries and dominated those industries and then started to spread our wings wide and pushing the product out to everybody, every user across the board, right? So you look at Viva as a perfect example. Viva built a very specific solution for a very specific industry. And now what they do is they layer the cake. They add more products to their existing customers, and they've built a massive, massive company. As a result, I think they're something like the $10 billion software company in a very short period of time. And so they're just great examples all over the place where being hyper-focused, especially in the early days, will really help you to set yourself up for success as you kind of hit your stride and start to accelerate your growth. And it could be absolutely devastating if, uh, we'll call it the, the shiny object, i.e. a big giant customer comes to you knocking on the door really early and they're like, hey, we love your product. We want to buy this. And uh, you know we're going to basically offer you a million dollars for your product. And you're like, great. And the next thing you know, you become this custom development shop for one big customer versus serving an entire industry or an entire market. So it's super, it's a delicate balance. Viviana, what's your experience within the portfolio of this idea of hyper-focus? Do you get any CEOs who kind of push back on that idea and, and want to go and conquer the world and conquer every vertical straight away? I think every CEO I work with wants to conquer the world and go wide, right? And so 
if you are not focused, I mean, that could that could literally be your greatest enemy because you'll spread all of your resources thin across the board. So it is really important to be focused. And I, I do think that a lot of CEOs today can lose sight of that. And so that's where I think Doug and I really try to come in and help. But just one example that, at least in, in my past, that I thought was so fascinating has really stuck with me. It was a couple of years back, but there was a company called Yammer that I worked for. And it was an enterprise social network. So very similar to Slack, a, a precursor to Slack, I would say. Slack's done incredibly well and it's continuing to do incredibly well. But this company was bought in 2012 by Microsoft for about $1.2 billion. Great business. And we had this freemium viral model, meaning we, we was one of the first enterprise software companies that really believed in this idea of consumerization of the enterprise. And when I first met with David Sachs, who is the CEO and founder, he, our first coffee, he sort of looked at me and he said, you know, I'm told I need to hire you, but I, I don't really know why. You know, tell me what you're going to do. My product sells itself. I have 100 million users on my product. But when you dug into the data, what was so fascinating was that we had actually very little revenue. And I won't say what it is, but it was fairly low for those users. And when you dug into why, right, why are there so few people paying for this? It was actually fascinating. It came down to a packaging and positioning exercise that we ran, which is that we had this use case catalog, which with 54 use cases. And what our sales team would do is they would take this use case catalog and they would go to their big enterprise company and they'd say, hey, you could use us for 50 different reasons. And so then what would happen was that people would say, oh, gee, I just want to use it for M&A for my business development team. I don't think I really want to buy it wall-to-wall, but a social network by nature requires wall-to-wall implementation in order to be successful. The network is much more valuable with more people. And so what I did was I ran a series of interviews. I ran a huge data analysis, and I figured out that actually there were four core reasons, four solutions as we dubbed them, why people were buying. So we had a specific HR play that we called employee engagement. We had a C-level play that we called business transformation or business agility. We had a core team collaboration plan. Then we found IT was always in our deal. So we called that social intranet. When we repackaged everything, it absolutely skyrocketed our revenue. And funny enough, we were being acquired just at that time as the revenue was just completely up and to the right. And I remember David calling us and saying, gosh, I wish I hadn't sold. Like you know, this business was about to just really take off. So that's an example of where there's this idea of, of conundrum of choice and lack of focus. If humans cannot handle 50 choices, you have to really make it simple for them, especially when you're introducing an entirely new way to work. And what's interesting is Viv is giving an example of focus within an organization, right? So focusing on different roles and personas within an organization, which is equally as important, right? So this idea of focus actually permeates and crosses, you know, not just industries that you may be targeting, but even roles specifically within industry. Let's move on to one of my favorite topics, marketing. Marketing is actually my background. If you go far enough back. That's that's what I studied at university. Now, Doug recommends that the first senior hire should be a head of marketing. And Viviana has published the superb founder's guide to hiring your first head of marketing. So why should the head of marketing be the first go-to-marketing hire? And how can a CEO hire the right person into that role? I'll give my take on it as a salesperson. And then... Um... I'm sure Viv will add some color or if not poke holes in my pieces. But, and we have talked about this at great length, but if you think about this, look, in the early days, your first salesperson should be your founder or your CEO or your founders, because you know the product, you know the market, you know the customers better than anybody else. And your job is to really define product market fit. And until you actually have product market fit, it's really difficult for you to go out and hire a bunch of salespeople to rinse and repeat. The other thing you have to consider is, in fact, I would actually argue your first hire should be customer success. 
Because as the founder and you're out selling, you need customer success to ensure that those early customers are wildly successful and they're incredibly happy and they're actually referenceable. And once that happens and you start to kind of build, you start to get the machine operating, then you need to think about bringing in a head of marketing because at the end of the day, if you bring in salespeople and you can't feed them with leads or potential prospects or, or even customers, then what are they going to do? They're just going to sit there and they're going to be really expensive SDRs or BDRs, just pounding the phones, looking for leads and opportunities. So you need marketing to help you figure out your kind of your messaging and your positioning and your, this whole lead generation engine. And then once you have that, then you hire salespeople because now you've got plenty of food for them to chew on. And I would also argue you hire two salespeople and not just one. But that's my hypothesis. Viv, what do you think? I could not agree more. It's music to my ears. I will add one caveat to that. Sometimes I talk to CEOs and they'll ask me, you know, when do I need to hire marketing? And then they'll debate. Do I hire, you might be 10, you know, 15 people, 30 people which is still relatively small. And they'll say, well, do I need a CMO? And they'll want big name CMO. And the reality is that you haven't quite yet figured out your product market fit. So it's just too early for that big name CMO. Most big name CMOs want to come in once they see the business. They kind of want to add gasoline. They want to fire. They want to get excited about that. And then they want to pour gasoline on it. And then, so what I tend to recommend is what I would call a director level VP of marketing. And so that's typically somebody who's been a director before who's sat in product marketing. I'm a big fan of product marketers. I'm biased. That's where I grew up. And who really has been tactically hands-on building, positioning, messaging, persona development, understanding how to really think about the market and where it's moving for your product. That director-level person who can pivot between leading a team and building a team, but yet also doing the work is really important for the early days. And then once you get to about 100, 150 employees, then you can think about hiring someone who's a bit more senior. Great advice. And your guide, this wonderful guide you wrote, Viviana, which I recommend to all of my clients to read about hiring that first head of marketing. One of the key themes in the guide is marketing superpowers. So walk us through this idea of superpowers and how a CEO can sort of use those ideas to help identify the right person for their particular organization. Yeah. And actually, Doug, you you would add a ton of color to this too. It's fascinating. The thing about marketing is that it is an incredibly broad discipline. And it is, you have folks that are very analytical and very operationally minded and can do incredibly well as a CMO. And typically, you find those folks in the consumer world because think about it, right? The consumer world is all about users and clicks and signups and And then you have sort of B2B, which requires more of someone who's a bit stronger on the positioning side and the messaging side. And oftentimes what I find is that you'll sit with the CEO and you'll you'll talk to them about what they want. And what they want, they'll think, oh, I want someone who's really focused on what I call performance marketing, which encompasses demand gen and a couple other functions, which is that sort of online marketer really. But at the end of the day, what they might need really is someone who's stronger in product marketing or corporate marketing. And so you want to help them think through this because there really is no one size fits all rule. So I've called the four superpowers as I've laid them out. And I love this debate because I have this debate with marketers all the time in terms of what it should look like. But one, it's this idea of performance marketing. So really demand gen in its simplest form. Corporate marketing, which is really positioning, messaging, PR, brand. Product marketing, which goes into much deeper on the persona development, competitive sales enablement. 
And then the fourth one is creative and brand marketing, which is which can be a field marketing team, which can be an actual creative design team, which can be a campaigns team. So these are the four areas that I dig into with each CEO. And, and when I find that things don't work out with a specific CMO, it's typically because there was there was a lack of alignment around which superpower the CEO and the company needed. I think everybody needs to ask that question of like, what is my superpower? And the CEO should be asking that question of everybody that they're interviewing for their organization because everybody in both sales and marketing and all go-to-market functions, really, you tend to lean in more specifically to some characteristics or skill sets within a role that are just you like more or you're better suited at. So for example, as Viv was talking about, some people just may be better at product marketing and less not so good at demand gen. It's really important for everybody to be clear about what their superpower is. And the CEO needs to ask those questions so they're, they're clear about what kind of team they're building. If you go out and hire a whole bunch of product marketers, you know, you're going to have some, some gaps really quickly if you're not totally clear or aware of it. So as a leader, you have to pick what's your superpower and then round yourself out. And I think one of the mistakes that team marketers make is that they'll, be a little, they'll, they'll get a little insecure and they'll hire someone that's a bit junior for the role. And I always say, hire people that are better than you at that yep. other superpower. Totally agree. And that's hard, hard for people to get. But that's what I've always done. I've always hired people who were way better at me in field marketing because I don't want to sit there and think about, I want to drive the strategy around the events that we should be driving and how we go to market. But I don't want to tactically worry about the execution side of it because I've hired an absolutely brilliant field marketer who should do that for me. Right. So that's how you have to look at it. And you just have to get over yourself. You do. Absolutely. <laughs> it's true. Now, I've been doing some research into your superpowers, Viviana, and apparently you've got this uh, particularly strong reputation for creating brand new categories, building categories from scratch at Salesforce, Yammer, and so on. So what's your advice for a startup looking to create a new software category? That's a great question. One, it's a great <laughs> question. Gosh, um, I would say partnering with the CEO and making sure that you are ready to embark upon this mission. Like one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen be made over time is that there's this lack of the CEO really has this passion and they founded this company for a reason and they know their mission. And then what I've found is that sometimes CEOs lack communicating that mission out to the army, to the troops, to the employees. And so you as a CMO, a big part of your job is to help drive that mission and actually help everybody else move faster. So I would say first and foremost, when you look at like a Mark Benioff, right? He created religion. And at the end of the day, I still see a lot of my old Salesforce product marketing friends who are now CMOs at great companies as well. And we talk about this religion that was created there in a good, in a positive way. I mean, this really wasn't a very sexy product. It was a feeble effectively in the cloud, but we just believed it. And he was able to create this amazing reality distortion field. And we just sort of were on that mission and helped build that mission for him. So I think one of the most important things you can do when you're creating a new category is have that alignment of that mission and honestly go hard at it because you'll vacillate and you'll have moments where people say, well, gosh, maybe I should change this word. Maybe it's not this category. Look what our competitor is doing. And one of the biggest mistakes you can do, and you see this, right? You created your category. You've got your message out there. You're running like 50,000 miles. And then your competitor comes in and now they've just co-opted all of your messaging. And so then internally your CEO is frankly, freaking out going, gosh, do we have to change all of our messaging? And really what you do there is you retrench and you dig deep and you actually go harder at the message and you continue to own that message. So I would say really having clarity and alignment around 
the goal, that mission that you're on, and just continue to push because the market will change and the dynamics will shift. If you've built that strong culture internally, you can do anything you want to do. Anything you'd like to add, Doug, drawing on <laughs> your slightly different superpowers? Well, I mean, that's part of the reason why I say it's important to hire marketing before sales. Because as marketing is working with the executive team and the CEO, I'm building kind of this message or position to create that religion, if you will. That's what sales needs to latch onto. And I tell you what, if you hire a bunch of salespeople and you don't give them that anchor, then they're going to go off and be rogue. And granted, in the early days, you're testing a lot. You may be testing one message and you realize like, ah, it's working most of the time, but it doesn't really work for these roles or it doesn't work for these industries. And so it's super important to create that kind of that feedback loop. Right. And this is where sales and marketing really need to be closely connected and aligned. Because as a marketer, I want to know salespeople, what are the customers responding to and what are you hearing? And I want to listen in on some of those calls. And it's the reason why you can utilize chorus. Chorus isn't just for salespeople to listen to their own recordings. It's actually great for the rest of the organization. So you can hear what customers are actually saying as I articulate who we are and what we do. And and you know, that information needs to be shared back with marketing. And then marketing needs to continue to update and give the sales folks more insights, more assets, more things to anchor around so that we can continue to to capitalize on the opportunity that we all think exists. It's interesting that you're moving into this area of sales and marketing working in tandem and having a sales expert and a marketing expert on this show is quite entertaining in a way because (laughs) inside your portfolio companies, I know because I'm dealing with some of these organizations, it can be quite hard to bring about harmony and efficiency between the sales and marketing functions. So have you got any more tips, any more guidance for CEOs out there on how to better get those two functions working together? From the sales side, I will say it actually starts at the top. It starts with the CEO getting the entire company aligned and focused on the customer. The more we focus internally on marketing as a function and sales as a function and customer success as a function, then we start to create silos. And that's going to happen naturally as the organization starts to grow. We've got our marching orders. We've got our numbers to hit. We're getting our support resources for marketing, and then we're just out executing. But what happens is if if, if we're not all aligned on the same mission, vision, purpose, and why we exist as an organization, which is a fun exercise that that Viv takes our our companies through, if we're not all hyper, hyper hyper-focused on our customers, then it makes it really difficult for us to share information. And I think that's one of the biggest traps within an organization is the fact that it starts marketing and sales alignment is easy in the early days because we all sit in the same room, right? When there's 10, 15, 20 people in the organization, it's once you start to get to 100, 200, 300 people that it really starts to separate and segment out. And I think one of the biggest challenges, at least on the sales side, is not truly understanding what marketing does. And it's funny, I'll never forget this. I was in a meeting with one of my previous companies and it was myself and the CRO. And we sat down with the entire marketing organization. There were like 60 people there. And I remember vividly, he looked over at me and he said, what do all these people do? And here's, oh, our, God, C- here's terrible. our CRO. Here's our CRO. So like, if the head of sales is asking that question, I guarantee you a rep has no idea what all these <laughs> folks do because there's a lack of transparency. And I think part of that is due to the fact that like, hey, look, we're not all aligned on this around the same thing, i.e. The, the customer. And then how does that actually affect the different functions in the organization. And we also don't create that transparency or create that collaborative environment where we can share information seamlessly back and forth, whether that's through marketing to customer success or to sales, et cetera. I'll tell you as an example, you know, customer success has more insights into our customers and what how they really use our products 
than anybody else. And that's a resource that is often overlooked. And so being able to pull that, those insights from customer success into both marketing and into sales is crucial, which is why often we talk about revenue functions within an organization, which is basically your entire go-to-market team. If we quit looking at marketing as a solo function and sales as a solo function and CS as a solo function, and we start to look at all of them together as a go-to-market function or a revenue organization, hence the CRO title, although that's still growing and evolving over time, then we at least start to get more alignment. I think that's one of the things that if it doesn't start at the top and you don't get it early on, it bifurcates really fast, in my humble opinion. And the marketing perspective from you, Viviana? I mean, I think Doug really nailed it here. It's interesting. In my career, I've always been hired by salespeople. It's sort of, I look back and it's, it's an interesting reflection for me personally, because usually, you know, CROs or SVPs of sales have needed, they've needed help from marketing to help close business. They've had a great product. They've had great product market fit. And so how, what I usually do is I like building my plans with sales. Yes. So then there's a joint, there's a joint buy-in, right? It's not, yeah. oh, marketing built their plan and sales has their plan. And then every two weeks, we usually, when we it used to be, like, I will sit in pipeline review. I'll sit in every single pipe, weekly pipeline review. And then every two weeks, we'll have a deeper dive on, okay, is marketing supporting you, right? And we'll have an honest conversation around that. So it is a, a real relationship. And then we'll invite the CEO to usually come into those sessions as well. And they'll just participate at times and other times not. But that is just, it's a different way of looking at it. And yeah. the other thing I'll add is is that, I think what Doug was describing is this idea, call it like marketing for the sake of marketing. Like every company feels like they need a marketing team. And so they'll say, gosh, let's just hire a bunch of really smart, great people. And they do. And they hire these young people and they're brilliant and they're lovely, but there's a lack of leadership sometimes. And so then they're just doing these things and they're trying to help. But when you don't have that big mission or that big vision of what how marketing should partner with sales and the rest of the org, that's where issues really start to appear. And so I always try, I try to tell my team, Hey guys, our goal is to actually help everyone else move faster. So we help sales move faster. We help product move faster. We help customer success move faster. That's the internal side. And externally, we help the market move faster. So those are the two very important things, both internally and externally, in terms of like, how do you build a great marketing team and how do you partner with sales? One of the things uh, I'm just a little more color to that is what's really interesting. I mean, having a marketing organization that wants to be super involved in sales conversations and wants to be involved in forecast conversations and wants to hear what the customers are actually saying is so critical. And often it doesn't happen. I want like how many marketers, how many people on that 60 person marketing team had actually gone on a sales call and really understood what a customer was saying and really understood what their problems were. And how often, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this, field marketing will go out and create all these events. And yet sales also has their own budget and they're creating events for their customers, CIOs, IT, whatever, whoever it may be, maybe other sales leaders. And next thing you know, we're doing two events back to back. Marketing is running an event and sales is running an event because we didn't talk to each other, right? And that yeah. happens a lot. So mm-hmm. the question is, is this field marketing live under sales or does it live under marketing? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter so long as the communication is there and so long as that support and trust with one another is there. I think the other thing too, and this is where Viv and I start to get a little feisty with one another, but I honestly think that <laughs> marketing should be responsible. I, she would agree, but how we get there is, is maybe a little different. But to be honest, I think marketing needs to be responsible for part of the revenue number, right? So marketing doesn't isn't just about top of the funnel activities. And ra- there's brand awareness components. There's also kind of nurture activities and campaigns. And then there's also in-op 
I've got live ops, existing ops as a salesperson that I'm working. I need marketing's help to continue to further educate all the buyers within these organizations as to our, the value that we deliver. And often what happens is I've got the, I'm in the middle of an opportunity and they're getting blasted with these like email campaigns. Well, that shouldn't happen if there's an existing opportunity already in play, right? And so it's like thinking about how the kind of the interoperability from the time in which we, you know, run a campaign to raise the level of awareness all the way through to how we continue to support them as they're an existing customer is super important. It's really important. And it's not just one function that's responsible for all that. It's getting everybody in lockstep with one another. I could not agree more. I think marketing should own a revenue number. I don't think they can own all of it. No, <laughs> I always get I always get worried when I come in and and I talk to to founders and like, well, you know, mar- it's, our marketing source leads are like ninety percent, and they always and, and then they have an SDR team, and I'm kind of going scratching my head, wondering what's going on there. But the, and that happens very often. So, and one of the things that Doug and I debate quite a bit is where should the SDR team sit, though, so the sales development reps or the BDR reps, the business development reps. And Doug and I will debate this quite a bit. What do you think, Doug? <laughs> um, well, look, if I'm the sales leader, I want them. For me, that's like the first touch of a customer. And there's, I don't want that, you know, but it worries me when they sit under marketing. And I get the reason why, because it's like, hey, we need to respond to the webinar leads. We need to respond to inbound interest. I totally get that side of the engine. But then it feels like it's just stuff is just lobbed over to sales. And what the problem is, is sales will say, well, this isn't really qualified. Like this is a sales conversation that you're actually having. I get it. You're taking information from marketing based on the activities that they're doing, you know, and you're trying to, to to develop and nurture these prospects. But that's a sales behavior. And so, as a sales leader, I want to make sure that I have my fingers all over that, so that I can we can further test kind of messaging, positioning, what what really works for different buyers. And I also need to make sure that all the boxes are checked. That this is a legit opportunity. That there's actually they've gone from awareness the old AIDA model, they've gone from awareness to some level of interest. They've raised their hand and said, I want to know more. And now we're moving them through the funnel to get them to to take that interest to some sort of, they want to actually, they want to learn more. And (laughs) I want to control that. Maybe that's just me. No, I get it. I'm a control freak. And some sales leaders are like, I don't really care. You know, marketing, you handle that. There's many ways. Yeah. I think it depends on the leader. I think it depends on the strength of the SDR, BDR leader. I've seen it work well both ways. I think how the world is shifting, I think that there's more of a, there's becoming more of a reliance on marketing sourced pipeline. I, I see that trend. I see it part of the reason, at least, at least in the valley, you know, what sort of what's going on here is that it is expensive to have a, a sales team. It costs a lot of money. And what'll happen is that companies will start to have really great organic growth, they'll layer in a lot of salespeople, and that actually hurts your numbers over time. So with this reliance on marketing, I'm starting to wonder more and more if perhaps it makes more sense for it to fit into marketing because it really is that first touch. So usually marketing you know, creates some activities, whether they're you know, events, campaigns, there's a PR, there's social, you get folks into the funnel for ver- you know, through various channels. And then they have, you know, they sign up through a web form. As an example, they come in and their first interaction is with the salesperson. And you sort of want marketing to be able to own that whole experience. And, and think of the, how the world is changing. It would be great if you could create that alignment between sales and marketing such that everyone is in agreement on how the salesperson really, what that first interaction looks like. That's the ideal to- state. Totally agree with that. Hey, we got some That's harmony. First here. interaction. <laughs> nice to hear that <laughs> harmony. The part of the reason why Viv and I have so much harmony is because I, I think we're both, one of the things that she said is like, she is like a marketer with this veil of a sales person. 
And conversely, I'm a salesperson at heart, at the core, but I also know how to wear a marketing hat. We get each other. And also, I think we've seen the pain of not getting one another, not actually truly mm -hmm. empathizing with the other person and their role and what they're trying to do and vice versa, right? The most important characteristic to be to being successful in business, period, is empathy, right? Mm -hmm. Really, truly being able to put yourself in the other person's shoes. And far too often, marketers don't understand what salespeople really do. And salespeople don't really understand what marketers do, i.e. that story that I told you before. Mm -hmm. And so the more we understand yeah. one another, the more synergy there is. And fortunately, we yeah. both happen to be in, in a place where that exists. It doesn't always exist. Yeah. It's about building trust. It, you'll be, all be in meetings where the marketing team will say, the field marketing team always gets so frustrated with sales, right? We just delivered this <laughs> fantastic event and <laughs> sales isn't following up on all the leads that we generated there. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard oh, that, right? And your gut, totally. your gut reaction is, I have to go call sales and I'm going to go yell at them because they didn't call. And then so what you have to do is you have to say, okay, let's figure out what's going on. Were the system set up properly? Like, let's get to the bottom of what's really going on and not go blame another team. There are so many reasons as to why this may or may not have worked out. Trust plus yep. empathy equal perfect harmony. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a good way to put it. That's my equation. You know, something that's emerged from these conversations almost from the very top of the show actually is customer success and customer success insights i'm just intrigued to explore that a little more because we've been focusing a lot on sales and, um, and marketing and how those two functions sh should work together in harmony talk to me a little bit more about the importance of customer success and how to get that working effectively in a startup or a scale-up well, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I kind of alluded to this before. Actually, I said it before. I mean, it's the first hire that you make. Your customer success team is, to me, the way I see it is like, if you think of it, let's do a football analogy, American football. Sorry, Gary. Or you could actually do soccer. It, it doesn't really matter. But at the end of the day, if you think of like marketing kind of helps to carry the ball to the 50-yard line, sales takes it over and goes from the 50-yard line to the 30-yard line. Now, don't get caught up in the number of yards because it's marketing more important than sales or customer success. That's not the point. Point is, there's a handoff from marketing to sales. And then what's interesting is actually, I believe that sales gets the ball into the red zone. So somewhere around the 20, maybe they even the 10-yard line. And then they hand it off to customer success. And it's actually customer success that takes the ball over the line into the end zone or into the goal. And what I mean by that is it's not until a customer actually starts using the product and adopts the product and starts really, really getting value out of the product that you score. Landing a customer doesn't mean squat because in today's environment, adoption is the new ROI. Nobody can afford to buy a piece of technology that the entire audience who it was intended for doesn't use. And if that's the case, then no matter how good of a job marketing does to educate and raise the level of awareness of our customer base and how good sales does converting some of that awareness into action and, des and desire, you know, it's customer success that really drives it, kind of solidifies it, takes it home, if you will. And that, to me, is often overlooked as part of the value equation for the go-to-market team. It's so often a sales and marketing conversation and customer success is like, hey, look at me over here. It's like the account managers in the customer <laughs> success organization. And they're like, I'm not a salesperson. I'm an account manager. It's like, sorry, bullshit. Beep, you can bleep that out. But the truth is, <laughs> those behaviors that you do as, a, as an account manager are almost identical to what a salesperson does. 
So, and part of your job is looking for upsells and expansion opportunities and really helping to focus on renewals and making sure that our customers are wildly happy and that they're going to continue to buy. That's also why we use these calculations like, you know, LTV over CAC. It's like, well, look, you know, if I, if I spend a dollar to get you as a customer, I want $3 from, you know, the lifetime of our relationship because that's just, that's my responsibility. And that's the world of SaaS. I have to earn your business every single month. And so they're a hugely important component to this entire revenue engine that exists. And think about the role that marketing and sales is an obvious one, but marketing really needs to partner with customer success as well, right? Because this customer success will happen. And I hear this from my friends who run customer success teams. They'll say, gee, I'm out in market. I'm trying to help our customers get up and running on the product. Now they're using it, but maybe engagement has kind of fallen off a little bit. I need training. I need materials. I need to how do I get them re-engaged? And so I need content and collateral. I need messaging. I need positioning. So marketing really needs to support customer success quite a bit more than I think most teams think about today. Totally agree. Well, look, I mean, you can even argue like customer success teams need just as much marketing support in terms of assets, in terms of knowledge, in terms of materials. And there's a reason why this world of sales enablement, which I hate because it's not enablement, it's not a word. So I call it sales productivity. But the reality is it should be revenue productivity. Because what you do for your direct sellers to help ensure that they are on message and that they understand kind of the handoff from marketing to sales and to keep a customer engaged and actually convert that to a closed deal is exactly what customer success needs. You know how many times a customer success manager has to resell the customer? So they bought it and now it's time to do the implementation. They're like, wait a minute, what did I buy? Why did I buy this? And so customer success has to go through that whole motion. And so it's like, Marketing, looking after making sure that the sales team is educated, has all the right tools and insight to support their customer engagements, has to also be focused on customer success to, to Viv's point. They're an equally important audience. That's interesting to hear this emphasis on customer success. And I wonder where whether the sort of cachet that um, comes with that role or that function needs to be revisited because there's a lot of cachet with being the head of sales or the head of marketing and these titles like chief revenue officer or chief marketing officer are quite glamorous titles but you never really associate much glamour with the customer success team or the head of customer success so I wonder if that's something that also needs to be looked at within your portfolio what are your thoughts on that? Chief customer officers that's becoming a much more common role and they have the same seat and the same amount of responsibility and the same amount of power as the head of sales and the head of marketing. They should be treated all the same. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure exploring these topics with you today, Viviana and Doug. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing your superpowers and your uh, your storytelling. And I wish you both huge success with the portfolio over the coming years. Thank you so much, Gary. This has been wonderful. Really appreciate yeah. it. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate it. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent. <laughs>